Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, man? It's been a long, uh, <laughs> almost 100 days uh, since the bubble formed uh, down in Orlando at Disney World. And we've concluded we're on the other end. Uh, there's been a champion named, but more importantly than the champion is, you know, it's the zero coronavirus cases. That's what we're really focusing on today. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But the Lakers, the Lakers are victorious. It felt inevitable um, from the moment the Clippers got upset versus yeah. Denver in game seven. Um, we saw both the Nuggets as well as the Heat put up fight here and there. They had some great performances, but ultimately... LeBron and AD were just too much down the stretch and title number 17 for the Lakers. Yeah, we talked a lot, I think, about talent like in the playoffs. I think there was one episode where we said, at the end of the day, you're, you're stacking up your top two guys versus um, another team's top two guys. And I know it's not as reductive as that usually, but uh, you go through a playoffs like this and you remember why we even say things like that because talent usually yeah. does win out in the NBA. And, and it's not just talent, it's talent like, LeBron and LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, so it's funny because there were so many doubts along the way. But now when you look back at it, it's like, yes, this team was really poised to, um, you know, outside of the Clippers, this this was the team to win it all. So, you know, nothing too surprising, but hats off to them. You know, it was a hard earned title with a lot of factors, obviously, with a bubble. And um, but you got to hand it to them. They did it. So I mentioned this last week where I was like, I'm not trying to be revisionist history. Hindsight's 2020. I understand. But why were the Lakers not considered more of a finals threat? And people who listen to this say, dude, what are you talking about? This is more of like the washed king bullshit narrative. And I agree some of that is too far. But if you even look at like ESPN.com, um, so not necessarily clickbait, um, preseason standings, they predicted the Lakers to finish fifth, right? Um, if you look at even once you understood that the Lakers were one of the best teams in the league, if you look at Clippers, Bucks, Lakers, uh, for most of the year, they had the third uh, best title odds of those three teams. So even in the top tier, they were considered the least likely to win. And I think a lot of that really has to do with a misunderstanding of what it means to be a playoff guy and what it means to really go hard all the time. And I think... Paul George is somebody who, you know, was counted on as like a 1A uh, or 1B to Kawhi. And we we just skipped the step of where you need to prove that to us. Nope. You know, um, it just we just assumed even Kawhi Leonard, who played by all account on all accounts, a stacked Toronto team last year, given how well they were able to do without him this year. We just assumed like put him in any situation and it's a title contender. And that's probably true to some degree. Like the reality is they were still up three, one with 15, 16 point lead in every game down the stretch. Yeah. So they probably should have just played the Lakers, but those are the moments that we assume greats just have checked off. And I think even at LeBron's advanced age, it kind of shows you the difference between I am a great I have a ceiling of a Hall of Famer superstar or I am a Hall of Famer superstar every single time I step on the court. And I think LeBron showed us that that's a big divide to bring it no matter what the circumstances is versus that being your ceiling. That's yep. LeBron's floor and ceiling, which is the craziest part. <laughs> right? Like yeah. he, he's never not going to bring it. And I think we we frankly took that for granted. I totally agree. I think there's two other factors at play. Uh, one of them is 
the issue with the Lakers is what ended up happening to the Clippers, where you think it's two great stars, but the chemistry may not be there. You've got a cast of misfits, um, and that's going to ultimately derail their season. The funny thing, and then the funny thing was the narrative about the Clippers was, look, this was already a good team. Last year, a feisty eight seed, won a couple games against the Warriors. Now you're just adding Paul George and uh, Kawhi Leonard. And by all accounts, those are guys that seem like plug-and-play guys, not yeah. guys who are going to take away from what that team was already about. And we've seen that we saw it flip where they're the ones with chemistry issues and the Lakers really the leadership of LeBron um, and Anthony Davis's talent obviously was good enough. And the other thing I want to mention is Anthony Davis. I think there's also this idea that LeBron brings his big men down like Kevin Love, Chris Bosh. They all kind of get reduced. And so I don't think people are saying this, but, it, you know, you have this worry in the back of your head. Is Anthony Davis going to become a, you know, glorified three point shooter or how does he fit in that offense? But ultimately, they end up becoming the best versions of themselves. And, um, and if, if you told me, like, Anthony Davis and LeBron were both going to play, like, all NBA players uh, the entire season and in the playoffs with LeBron also locking in on defense, then it's hard to pick against them. But no one, you know, knew that for sure. The difference is um, in the big man comp- conversation is those were both the third best players on those teams. And I think that makes a big difference because the second best, in addition to LeBron, was also a ball dominant guard. Um, and so Anthony Davis didn't really play in the same type of team environment that Chris Bosh and Kevin Love did with Kyrie and Wade. And then there's just the flat out fact that Anthony Davis is is significantly better than those two. And respect to those guys, right? Bosh is a Hall of Famer. Kevin Love may end up getting there one day. But Anthony Davis is, I mean, he's a different beast. And even if you look at New Orleans, like we've clowned him a bunch, calling him a beta, all this stuff. But that was never about his performance or his production. It was always strictly his ability to lead and be the best player on a contender. If you look at those New Orleans seasons, the reason why he's already basically a lock Hall of Famer is because the numbers he's putting up are just absurd. So when all he has to do is focus on dominating on defense, being hyper-efficient on offense, I mean, dude, like, you want to know his shooting splits from this series? He shot 57% from the field, 42% from three, and 94% from the line. Not to mention eviscerating Miami in at least two games defensively where they were they had a real chance to, you know, either even up the series or get closer. And he just took them out of their game in game four. And then, of course, in game six. Um, And so I feel like LeBron was able to take the burden off of everything that Davis is not good at and everything that he couldn't command from a locker room. And so it was like the ultimate um, I'm trying to think of a comp. It was very similar in a way to like, and I I know the personalities don't match, but it was almost like when Randy Moss went to the Patriots in 07 and he was like, don't worry about anything. I got it. Like if I'm Tom Brady, I got it. You just ball. And he scored 23 touchdowns that year. And, you know, they didn't win the Super Bowl, but very similar. It's like otherworldly talent doesn't have maybe the full package of a 1A guy. And I think um, he couldn't have found a better situation. I mean, you know, we can go on and on about the series and breaking down the X's and O's and what would have happened if healthy Dragic and healthy healthy Bam. And I just feel like although maybe you could talk me into a game seven, I really don't know that it would have even gone to seven with those guys there all season. I, I think that the, the mentality would have changed, right? You play different when you're up 2-0 versus when it's tied 1-1 or up 3-1 versus when it's 2-2. I mean, that's just human nature. So they just 
they just had too much. And, you know, we mentioned this last week, the role players in the Lakers, yes, they, they played better than we expected, but they played from a perspective of like ease. They were taking wide open shots all series. What else were they going to do but make it? These are professionals. Yeah, and I mean, the Lakers role players deserve a lot of credit, too, because they were not only relegated to being spot-up shooters, they would shoot or they would actually drive hard. Like when, If you close out too hard, they drive, and then they'd kick it out when, when needed. And I think that uh, KCP did a great job of this. Caruso was doing this. And that added threat makes them more than just a, you know, the drive-and-kick teams we're so accustomed to seeing sometimes. Um, yeah. All those guys were aggressive. They attacked the rim. Uh, and collectively, that helped the team as a whole. And and I do want to say that LeBron playing point and being the primary ball handler on every position. Yeah. And he's always kind of brought the ball up in his other stints as well. But there's no other ball handler but him when he's on the court. Uh, yeah. And I think that makes a big difference. That allows him and AD to kind of create that spacing, to play a little pick and roll. Um, whereas in the past, you know, if you have a Kyrie, then it's like, where's LeBron kind of sitting on the court with love? It's much harder to reconcile that with your bigs. So um, that was the big thing for them this season. Like putting LeBron at the point, uh, officially yeah. at the point, um, made a big difference. Yeah, I mean, he led the league in assists. So it wasn't just like a playoff thing. He did it all year. It actually reminded me a lot of the 2018 Cavs, the year after they got rid of uh, Kyrie, because Isaiah Thomas didn't work out. And then you had this hodgepodge of guys who, I mean, George Hill is not really a true yeah. number, like primary ball handler, but you had like J.R. Smith, you had Kyle Korver, you had Kevin Love. Tristan Thompson, a lot of guys who were dependent on him. But again, like love is not Anthony Davis. And that was like one of the great equalizers. Um, and they had to play the Kevin Durant Warriors. So that was another problem that they ran into. Uh, I was having a conversation with my friend. I'm curious for your perspective, right? Because we got a great test of really what it means to be top heavy. I think I was, I was listening to Tom Haberstroh, who was talking about uh, he was measuring how top heavy this team was in relation yeah. to basically the last 20 years of champions and the top three most top heavy teams uh, were all Lakers teams. It was this yeah. one. It was the 01 Shaq and Kobe uh, Lakers. And then it was the 09 Kobe and Pau Gasol Lakers, which was interesting because oh. it was af- after Bynum, I think started breaking down a little bit. They were still able to win. But the question for you is if you were to drop AD and LeBron on any team in the league this season, given everything that happened, you know, pandemic, we go to the bubble, et cetera. Do they win the title? And before you answer, let me just tell you, because the teams you're going to be thinking about are the ones with the worst rosters, like the Knicks and the Hornets and all that. Yeah. If you took those guys off this team, you would say this is the worst roster, at least one of the worst rosters. So, that's, uh, that's an interesting that's an interesting lens to view. Like if this you were part. like, oh, KCP, yeah. Rondo, Jared Dudley, like Kyle Kuzma, you'd be like, that team sucks. Yeah, but it's a hard question, right? Because on paper, just that team sucks. But we've seen them now. We're able to play those roles. I don't know if I put them on the Knicks. I don't know if those guys can step up and play those roles like Rondo, KCP, Caruso did. Well, like, they had the twin. I'm going last year opening day. Marcus Morris was on the Knicks. He's basically Marquise, so we know that that is one to one match. Then you got what, Mitchell Bobby Robinson. Portis. You think Bobby Portis is seeing time? He might not, but Julius Randle, sixth man. Maybe he Julius, gets Alfred uh, Payton to figure out how Julius to play. Julius Randle's uh, clogging up the paint. You're not putting him in there with Anthony Davis. So you're saying it's a no on the Knicks. And then who are your shooters? 
You don't have shooters. That's the problem. You, you have zero shooters. <laughs> so you have RJ not, Barrett. I, and it, I think the Hornets will be fine. They've got shooters. They got scoring. Um, yeah. Hornets, I, I think you could talk yourself into the Knicks and RJ Barrett's broke-ass jumpers who's giving you floor spacing. Yeah, it's a good question, though. It's it's funny when you put it that way. Like, you add those two guys on any team, and they're a uh, title contender. I think outside the Knicks, I'd, I'd say yes. Every other team. Uh, who, who are the other bad teams? Uh, the the Well, no, the Warriors I, yeah. were bad, but that doesn't really count. The Timberwolves were, of course, bad. Um, no, all those teams will be fine. The Bulls are bad, were but bad, they've got talent. All, all these teams have talent. It's only the Knicks that are, like, very uh, big, heavy, and not enough shooting. Yeah, they have no talent, and even the ones they do have are the wrong fit around AD and LeBron. But I think like the whole reason we didn't want think that they were going to win was because of the supporting cast, and they just showed us it didn't matter. They went five, five, five the first three rounds, and in, and in you know the finals they were up three one, and you know no no. So I, here's what I think. I think it almost matters. one in five here too. The supporting cast matters. I think the biggest question we had was. Where's the third guy? Who's going to be that third guy who drops 15 to 20? Because in every you know championship team, there's usually a third piece who's getting you that 15 to 20 points. And the thing we argue about all year is, is that Kuzma? Is that, I don't know, Danny Green? <laughs> like, and, and the fact that you couldn't even identify a guy meant that none of, you, could, you couldn't trust any of these role players to go off. Like You needed someone to go off in some of these games. And I think it didn't matter because they got consistent contri- uh, contributions across the board from all these guys. And the biggest surprise is Rondo, um, because I, I've, I've said this time and time again, LeBron teams, they're actually a lot of times they're fine with LeBron on the floor. Even in some of those Golden State series, when LeBron's on the floor, they're neck and neck. That's the minutes he's off where they get killed. And yeah. Rondo kept them afloat in all those minutes. And that's why LeBron was able to play like low 30s. Like he's never done that before in the playoffs, like low 30 minute games because they yeah. could survive that. Um so, yeah. yeah, and they were also able to stagger with Davis. And uh, although Davis during the season was te- a net negative with LeBron off the floor, I think in the playoffs when you shorten the rotation, you're not playing as many guys. Like you're you're playing the same seven or eight guys really. So it's all about just switching the matchups around here or there. I thought that's a big factor for why Miami didn't win. They didn't win the Le- LeBron off the court minutes at all. Yeah. Um, and. You'd see this time and time again where AD and the and the, the small guards and they would get offensive rebounds or they would get like loose ball, kick out threes. And suddenly it's like he's only going to pl- sit out six to seven minutes in a whole game. You Like these have to be like Miami yep. plus 12. Otherwise, you have no chance. Yep. Um, and part of that goes back to the Heat. And look, the Heat were an amazing story. So I'm not going to criticize them, but we have to call it what it is, is they didn't have you know, even Jimmy Butler, as good as he is, is not the type of shot creator who can punish a defense uh, no matter what. He played two of the most impressive games I think I've ever seen in this modern era from a non-LeBron KD guy. Um, But it it felt, and and look, it's not to say that the criticism of him is now proven wrong. Like, I think he played way better than he actually is. Yeah. I think that we have to accept that. Like, I don't think Jimmy Butler was this guy the entirety of his career. I think he's playing phenomenally, and in the bubble, he's stepped it up even more. In fact, I think Miami's going to, yeah, yeah, I think Miami's going to regress next year because they were basically all the, I mean, there are a lot of young guys who can get better, but their best player, Jimmy, and either leading scorer, Goron, were playing as high of a level as they've ever played. And I think even that wasn't quite enough 
to make the Lakers pay when LeBron was off the floor. I mean, you saw like Jimmy Butler had those two amazing games and then he fell off the next game. It's hard to sustain that level of play. Like there's a reason yeah. why LeBron is only, you know, the only player who can do that. Um, yeah. And it, you can't expect him to like LeBron. You can expect him to go supernova every game. He did that in 2015, for example. Yeah. Right. And even then, that's not enough. Um, you right. can't still lost that one. Like, yeah. Jimmy Butler still Jimmy Butler. Like, I think he has gone up a level in a lot of our ranks, but He's not giving you 30, 10, and 10 every game. And that's what, yeah. like, if Miami wanted any chance, he needed that. And it's just, it's not possible. Especially with the hobble Dragic, who, who, you know, I give him a lot of credit for playing, but he was just out there. You know, he wasn't doing anything in game six. I can't even believe he played, frankly, with the torn uh, plantar fascia. Yeah. But, and, and Adebayo, actually, he was good in the second half of game six when they were down 35, but he was really bad uh, for much of the time he was back. Um, just didn't seem like he had a lift. Didn't seem like he had any confidence. I know it doesn't help to come back from this injury and then suddenly be looking at Anthony Davis. But um, yeah, I think um, the other thing is, you know, I give Vogel a lot of credit. He he was given a lot of shit, pretty much assumed he was going to be fired and replaced with Jason Kidd. Like they hired this very veteran coaching staff. Um some of whom were hired without his uh, input, which is not a good sign. I mean, aside from building that defense and getting everyone to buy in, um, I thought even some of the game-to-game moves that he made, which he was actually maligned for earlier in his career, like starting Caruso, and you could argue, yeah, that should have happened a little earlier is taking Dwight out of the lineup. But some of those things were were pretty key. I mean, he started Dwight and play, started Javel and played Dwight all season. And Houston series, uh, I know it seems obvious because of how Houston plays, but they totally went away from it. And a lot of coaches are like, look, we're the one seed. We're the favorites. We're going to dictate the pace of play and they can match us. And I thought he did a great job being like, if we put Markeith, Davis, and LeBron on the court, we're going to eviscerate this small ball lineup. We have the best small ball lineup in that situation. And I think there's a number of instances um, – you know, we talked about how he took Jokic out of the, his element in, in the Western Conference Finals. And so I'm, I'm glad for him. I thought he deserved another shot after that Orlando experience. And I think he, you know, sort of rectified his reputation around the league. Absolutely. It puts that indie performance even um, – we see it in a different light. Seeing now Paul George and his limitations and then seeing the fact that that team challenged uh, Miami like to seven – um, yeah. The other thing Vogel did that uh, remember when Rondo came back and he had a, f- a couple shaky games and looked terrible and Twitter yeah. was killing Vogel for playing him and giving him a lot yep. of minutes. I killed him. I think we talked about mm-hmm. it on the pod. Laker fans were killing him and he stuck with it. Like those are the kind of decisions that, um, you know, now in, in retrospect, we're all like, oh, yeah, Rondo was amazing. But uh, I think he gave those players confidence. You know, guys like Dwight, he found a role for um, every player on that team had a role played with confidence and you have to give some of the credit to the coach for that dude the bubble has gone on so long i didn't even remember that rondo was hurt <laughs> like he got hurt in one of the warm-up games right he like broke yep. his hand or something yep, yep. Uh, honest to god i didn't remember that until i was listening to something or reading something i was like yeah well you know rondo came back we weren't sure how he'd be uh sort of fit back in i'm like what are you talking about he came back from what and i was like oh shit um, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of ways you could dissect the series and dissect the playoffs. 
And really, it comes down to something as simple as you have the two best players and they don't. Yep. Uh, they had the two best players in every single series they played. Um, they might be the two best players in the world, for all we know. Um, and we've learned how to complicate basketball in a way that allows us or allows teams to find an edge here and there and to sort of exploit different uh, arbitrage opportunities or whatever you, whatever have you. But then it's kind of a friendly reminder that, look, this game can also be very simple. Yeah. It's are your guys better than their guys back to the talent point. And that, I mean, that's, that's all that really needs to be said about this Lakers team. We underrated both the stars and the role players in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, it reminded, I mean, obviously like you mentioned top heavy teams, this was reminiscent of, of Kobe Shaq. But at the mm-hmm. same time, like as top heavy as they were, um, those Kobe Shaq teams, you go back and watch and like the the contributions they're getting from all the other guys, like the Robert Ori's, the Stanislav Medvedenko's, the uh, who else? Were, were Derek Medvedenko Fisher. There? Derek Rick Fisher. Fox. Rick Fox. Samaki Walker. Like those guys, it, I don't know, when, it, when they shot, it was like they had to shoot. And the offense was always geared around Kobe and Shaq. I feel like this Lakers team those role players were entrusted to make those shots, hit those shots. And yeah. as much as they're maligned, like they stepped up in the, in those positions, right? Like a lot was asked of them. Unlike those Kobe Shaq teams where you kind of just have to make a couple of baskets here and there. KCP was putting up 10, 12 points. Rondo was, was putting up 10 points. Yeah. Um, and so as toppy heavy as that team was, I think a lot of credit needs to go to that supporting cast because yeah, um, those guys, the rest of their careers have never played like that. Um, even a guy like Dwight, as good as he has been, uh, has never learned to conform to a role in, later in his career. And so I, I think the story of this Lakers team, it's always going to be AD and, and LeBron, but those guys deserve a lot of credit as well. Yeah. And, and you know, we're going to talk about next year's outlook, but it did just come out today that AD plans to opt out and then re-sign, which was always the, the natural course of events. Um, get the big money deal. And, you know... Maybe this is the pivot to LeBron and and everything that we're learning and continue to learn about his greatness. But I mean, I don't understand how we can really put a limit on what these two can be together because there's nothing that would indicate that he's not going to keep playing at this level other than, okay, I look at the minutes and I look at the age and he's up there in the you know most minutes ever. Uh, from playoffs and regular season combined. He's year 17. He's never missed a playoff game. So the intensity of his minutes is a lot higher than other guys. And it's like, other than looking at that and being like, okay, like generally my conscience tells me that's a lot. There's absolutely nothing. And I mean nothing that would indicate a drop-off. Is he the same athletically as the Miami LeBron? No. But is he as effective? You could argue yes. Um, And... This te- I mean, this team can keep going on. They're going to get better, right? They're going to get a lot of buyout guys. They're going to get a lot of ring chasers. Whoever really wants to play on one of those one-year deals, they have the mid-level. The Clippers, of course, are going to try to you know put out a good product. And But before we get there, I just want to talk like you've been a LeBron guy since day one. Like he's truly your favorite player ever. Um, what does it mean, I think, to, to you and just like watching him go through the gauntlet and be like, Fuck, like every time someone criticizes him, every time someone gets on him, 
all he does is produce and, you know, in this case, win. It's incredible, man. And, like, as everyone knows, I'm a diehard Kings fan, and I hate the Lakers. But it's hard for me, you know, given LeBron, how much I've respected him, rooted for him over the years. uh, I think he needed this title because he's never going to beat MJ. I don't want to bring MJ into this conversation. Let's just talk about LeBron. Like, I think – but the what I do want to talk about MJ is that as MJ went through his career, he was never held up against any kind of benchmark. It was yeah. sure there were great players before him, but he kind of emerged as this something we had never seen before, and we already started treating him with this kind of awe. Um, but LeBron has always been held against the benchmark of Jordan, and so it's been like, oh, LeBron can't win; he had to move teams. Okay, he won a title, but he had to team up, unlike the way Jordan did it. Okay, but he's won a couple titles now. He only did it. In, he's only done it in the East. Um, okay, he's he's he went back to Cleveland, delivered them a title. Okay, he's still only done it in the East. Now he comes. He's done it in the West. Oh, but he had Anthony Davis, and they played in the bubble. Like the the goalposts keep moving, and I think that's always going to happen. There's always going to be doubters, but for me, I think people had reason to doubt. Well, not doubt LeBron, but. Um, Ask the tough questions. Like he did play in a weak conference. He has teamed up with with a lot of great players. But for me, this what this title meant was I think he conquered a lot of those questions where he showed that he can take he can win with um, in the Western Conference. He can win in a year which their team is not favored. Like you said, they were maybe second or third in a lot of people's preseason picks. Um. And he's now done something that no one's ever done, which is three titles and three finals MVPs. So he's entered a new air. Sorry? With three different teams. Oh, sorry. Three finals MVPs <laughs> with three different teams. Um, slight, slight detail. Yeah. And so I think this championship finally puts a little bone. I think anything on from here onwards, whether you think it's going to put him over Jordan or not, it's it's just a cherry on the top. I think this kind of wraps up neatly what his career is about, what he means, yep. and the fact that he's able to do this with two, three different franchises, two different conferences, in the most, I don't care what you say about the bubble, you say it's an Astro championship, in a season with uncertainty, a season that took its toll on teams that guys like Kawhi, Paul George could not get through. Um, the MVP, Giannis, you know, they their team struggled. In, a, in that type of season, he comes out on top. Um, and so it, to me, like this from all of this together has made him the goat in my eyes. Yeah. I was thinking about, um, so my perspective on LeBron has always been that since not always, I said since 2016, that championship, he's been above reproach to me. Like in that the criticism is all fraudulent and it's, and it's, it's more or less, it's trolling, but it's also just like really sort of um, not very clever trolling because you're starting to think about, oh, he scored eight points against J.J. Barea, blah, blah, blah. And so that's basically saying you can never make a mistake in your career or never have a poor performance in your career um, because you're measured against perfection, which is Jordan. And I understand that, right? That's Jordan to me, like the 6-0 and is a 6-0. and And we've always talked about that. You can go into the semantics of who he played and this and that, but that, that's that. So I've never been prepared to put LeBron above Jordan. But after 2016, I was like, okay, look, he cannot be criticized anymore as a basketball player. He's essentially the perfect version of anything that you could have hoped from Mm -hmm. his career, right? Uh, He's done it all. I actually didn't think about the West thing 
The only thing about the East-West thing I thought of was that he wouldn't have gotten to eight straight in the East, in the mm-hmm. West. But it wasn't like, I mean, the, to win a championship, you have to beat the team in the West. So I don't really consider that that big of a deal. Um, and this year, you know, you could you could point out, oh, the Warriors were hurt, blah, blah, blah. And so ultimately, if you want to point at those things, you're not trying to have the art conversation, right? You're not trying to have the argument. And I, and I realized as, as I was, was watching the playoffs, and I know he wasn't playing the top teams or the top players, like he didn't play the Warriors, didn't play the Clippers, didn't pay, play the Bucks. But in a way, I think what we forget is like the teams that he played were the ones that beat those guys. And so it's like, if you want to say he didn't play the Clippers or the Bucks, then how can you take that away from him without saying the Clippers were so good, they would have smashed the Nuggets. If the Bucks were so good, they would have smashed the Heat, right? And so it doesn't make sense to go both ways on that argument and say, well, the competition wasn't as wasn't as I Literally, this is like, this isn't college football where you could schedule a cupcake yeah. list of teams and go to the college championship. You have to play in a tournament. So it's whoever's ahead of you, right? So I, I, I think that's such a silly kind of perspective to take. I, I, I think what... So for me, Jordan's one, right? But what, it doesn't matter, though. I think that's what I'm getting at. Before, I was so gung-ho on it has to be Jordan one and LeBron two. Now I'm like, it's truly your perspective because whatever version of basketball you like, one of those guys is going to appeal to you. Not just from a stylic, stylistic perspective, but also just like the journey. They had very different journeys. There's different elements in play for both of them. And they've both done different things on the court. Like, they're, you know, so... I feel very strongly that if you put anyone else in your top two, you have an agenda at this point. Um, And I think that does before I was like, there's no path for LeBron to get number one. But as I watched the finals and I was just mesmerized by just the control over every single possession, every single game. I mean, he's easily the best player we've ever seen since Jordan. But if you put him above Jordan, it's, it, it shouldn't be seen as this like idea of like, oh, you're just a 20 year old who's never watched yeah. the greats play. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's a lot of that sentiment. I hate the argument that, oh, yeah, if you think LeBron's the best, you probably just started watching basketball 10 years ago. I mean, that's not true. Like, um, but the other thing, the thing that makes me sad, though, about LeBron and his legacy, as I look back at it, is look at a guy like Kobe. Kobe was compared against MJ early on in his career. But after a while, we stopped comparing him to MJ. Maybe it's because we realized he'd never get there. I don't know. But we just started appreciating him. Like towards yeah. the end of his career, right? When he won those last two titles, um, we just started appreciating Kobe for who he was, for as great of a basketball player as he was. And maybe that's because the gap between him and Jordan, it, at a certain point, you're like, he's never going to get there. With LeBron, he's always so close that we can never appreciate him without that prism of Jordan. Like yeah. even me as like a diehard fan, I'm always thinking about what he does in the context of, okay, now how can I make that argument against Jordan? Very true. And that's sad, right? Like another guy like Steph Curry, we appreciate he's a new talent, new type of thing he brings to the game. And we have this different kind of appreciation for him. LeBron has always been clouded by that Jordan shadow. Um, and some of it he brings on himself, fine, like the chosen one tattooed on his back. And that's the problem I have is that there's so many people who can't appreciate LeBron because appreciating LeBron means you're putting down Jordan or you're saying he's better than Jordan. And that's why you get the strong counter argument, these strong, like these people who are calling us bronze sexuals and three, six mafia. Like the irony is lost in the fact that they're calling Braun fans, bronze sexuals, but they're just as hard of like haters of LeBron. Right. So that's yeah. the thing that makes me sad about his, his career is like, no matter what he does, it's the same stupid Twitter argument 
is going to be there. It's super unfortunate because we're, we're getting way past what we should actually care about, which is like, holy shit, how did he see that corner three-point shooter? Oh, my God, how did he score the end one when he had three dudes draped on his back? Like, that's yeah. the stuff that matters so much more, and it's actually so much more fun. Like, why the fuck wouldn't you care about that? Like, just watch you – if you like basketball, don't you like watching guys who are really good at basketball play? Exactly. And, and I think there's a couple of things. One, George, LeBron did bring some of that onto himself. He talked about how he's chasing ghosts before. You know, in general, he's very, very theatrical, and I think the reason why he may not – age as gracefully as Kobe did in the sense of like public appeal is because he does just enough and says just enough that always like, you know, even like the, I want my damn respect. And it's like, okay, but we're, we are respecting like, what more can we do? And maybe he's referring to some of the people you're talking about, but it's really like anybody with a pulse and a conscience knows he's, he's phenomenal. And so yeah. those are the kind of things that I think tweak people and, and rub people the wrong way, but it is true. And, and the other thing that I think is, is super interesting is, what other sport has this kind of like raging debate like in football, right? The goat football player of all time. Someone will say Brady. Some people will say Jerry Rice. Some people say Jim yeah. Brown. But it's not like in any way argumentative, even amongst even if you say, well, football is hard to compare. There's a bunch of different positions and roles, whatever. Even if you talk quarterbacks, it's pretty much consensus that it's Brady, Brady. and the yep. passing of the mantle from a guy like Montana or Elway or even Peyton Manning to Brady wasn't like this war that was waging all over society. Um and in other sports, like in tennis, it's like, okay, well, I'm a Nadal guy. It's like, well, I'm a Rafa guy. Sorry, uh, Federer guy. And it's like, oh, well, I'm a Djokovic guy. It's just like, okay, fine. Like everyone's got their arguments, but it's not a big deal. Uh, Ty, uh, golf is the same thing with Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods. It's like, I don't understand why basketball, and maybe that's just because of the media creation is what we fueled as part of half the game is like everything outside of the, the 94 feet. And uh, to your point last week, maybe that's one of the problems with the growth of the game is we care too much about the analysis and the drama than we do the actual product. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But it's such an oddity, I think, of if you compare it to any sport. Um, I guess it's somewhat similar to Messi versus Ronaldo in soccer, but um, that's the closest comp I can think of. But it's a weird thing to not just appreciate greatness and to say like, well, he's Great, but you remember when he got eight, scored eight points yeah. against JJ Barea? It's like, why the fuck does that matter? That was nine years ago. Like, what are we talking about? Yeah, yeah, and, and that's that's the sad part because when I watch like a LeBron game, yeah, of course I want him to do well, but it, I'm just amazed at what he's able to do on the court and the fact that he's still able to do that, and he's clearly playing on a different level, a different playing than anyone else. Um, I don't know, man. Like it, this championship was nice because I think um, for me, really winning in the West was it's I mean, it's not his fault. Like Michael Jordan never won in the West. No one ever talks about yeah. that. Right. But it's because he was six to no. Fine. But so the, it's not that LeBron had to prove himself here, but I yeah. think just showing that he can truly dominate anywhere, like just closing that door on. Look, this guy is the best player of our time. It didn't matter what conference he was in. He was going to win. Um, and I think winning this title now helps settle that down and kind of at least show that he really has been the most dominant force for the last decade. And there's no argument against it. I think we do this funny thing where we're like very inconsistent in our arguments and our positions. And I don't even just mean on like a sports scale, like in general, like something that pisses us off. Like, let's talk politics, something that pisses us off that Trump's did. If Biden does it, we'll explain it away and yeah. vice versa. Right. And I think what's interesting as it relates to basketball is like part of the reason LeBron is hated so much was the team switching, the teaming up and all of that. 
Um, we associate the greats with one team, Jordan Bulls, Kobe Lakers, Magic Lakers, like Bird, Celtics, et cetera. But the same people, like for me, Kareem's the number three player of all time, right? And I'm sure on most people's list, he's somewhere in the top five. And Kareem switched from the small market bucks to the Lakers, like in the prime of his career. <laughs> yeah. uh, you talk about Shaq. Shaq played four years in Orlando before he bolted to L.A. Then he bolted to or he got traded to Miami, but essentially asked out and to Phoenix. And so um, Barkley, he demanded a trade from uh, Philadelphia to Phoenix and then he went to Houston. And so. We do this thing where we inconsistently apply arguments or where we think things anger us when there's a precedent for it. And mm-hmm. there's examples of guys in that stratosphere who who did the same thing. Like, I know you're you and I actually disagree, I think, on the value of Kevin Durant's two titles in Golden State. And mm-hmm. I understand that it was the deck. They stacked the deck. Right. But at the same time. If that opportunity had presented himself for other players of his stature, they might have done the same thing. We're like, oh, well, no, they wanted to beat each other. It's like, well, free agency wasn't the same as it was now. Like team movement, player movement wasn't the same as it is now. And if you are if you're Larry Bird and you're playing with three Hall of Famers or you're Magic Johnson, you're playing with three Hall of Famers. Why, why would you leave? And so we need to account for everything when we make, when we crush a guy for saying I'm going to sign in Miami with Wade and Bosch or I'm going to sign here with, you know, doing this. Um, and maybe that is really because it's, it's levels to this. And if you're really at the top, you have to split hairs. And maybe that's really what a lot of criticism comes from. I mean, I think, I I think what's happened with LeBron's career is you can talk about him switching teams, but every time he went to the top, someone made a counter move when in 2007, the, uh, Cavs went to the finals, they got waxed fine, but they, they got to the finals. What does Boston do the next year? They assemble the big three. All right. Now they're back on top. Okay. Well, now LeBron goes to Miami. Um, win some titles there. San Antonio was always good. So, you know, they're a threat. Fine. But when he goes to Cleveland, they beat Golden State. And what does Golden State do? They add Durant. Like, this is the point I always bring up about Jordan. Stockton and Malone ran the same team. I mean, obviously, around the edges, they changed things. But it was just Stockton and Malone as the one and two guys since, what, 1980? Uh, when was Stockton drafted? He was drafted in 86 or 87, and Malone I think. was... Malone 80. was uh, 84. No, that was Jordan's year. What? Carl Malone was 85, I think. Yeah, and they ran that for, what, 14, 15 years? Like, what team in today's day and age is running back the same superstar tandem without winning a title for 15 years straight? The only two teams currently in the NBA that have even been together that you're going to laugh that have been together for longer than like three years as a core three you're just talking 15. I'm talking three are the Warriors and the Wizards. (laughs) I mean, see, like that says everything. And you can say LeBron started that whatever you want. But the, the, the fact is that's today's day and age. So, you know, when he's moving teams, it's because the entire league is constantly shifting. And that's what you have to do today to win. So I agree. It's like you forget that. First of all, players did move back then. And then you forget that that's just how things are today. Like, if you don't move, you're you're going to get stuck. Can I make a quick point? I, I just want to make a point. I think that that exact point is actually why I don't really care as much about the three MVPs with three teams. Because I don't think the opposition is as difficult in terms of continuity. 
Like it's almost like when one and Dunn's win championships now, it's not as big of a deal as when Carmelo won in 03 because he was going up against a bunch of teams with like juniors and seniors. Like when the Anthony Davis Kentucky team won or when, um, you know, the Duke team with Jalil Okafor and Justice Winslow won, it's like it's it's hard to bring together everybody that quickly. But when everyone's doing it, it's not as challenging. So, like, the Lakers had more continuity than the Clippers, who were their main rival, just by virtue of being together for one more year. I mean, Davis wasn't there, but Rondo, KCP, those guys at least were. Whoa, of course, whoa, LeBron. Whoa, whoa. They didn't have more continuity. The Clippers look like the Clippers a fucking, like, Carol, they... Um, I'm not saying what they face? look like. I'm saying what they played like. They looked like they had just oh. met. Not to mention, let's be honest, replacing... Okay, LeBron being there for one extra year counts for all the continuity you need versus you bringing up like their fifth and sixth best players. It's totally different when you're integrating your two best guys. Yeah. That's but, true. but my point being that like all these teams, their cores are so uh, they're turned over so often that now it's not the disadvantage it used to be. Um, like that's why you even saw like this was the whole story with like the 04 Lakers losing to the Pistons. It's like, oh, well, Carl Malone and Gary Payton, you try to do this. But the Pistons have like fortified this over several years, blah, blah, blah. Even in 2011 with the Mavericks, it was like, well, you know, they've gotten Dirk has been there. He hasn't gone anywhere. You can't just slap together a superstar team. And now we're learning you can, but you have to have the right guys. Um, and so the biggest test uh, will be the Nets next year. Because they have two of the 12 to 15 best players in the league, including a guy when he's healthy who's number two or three you know, in the league. And so what is that going to look like? Um, and now this is, you know, you talked about LeBron making his foray west. This will be Durant's first trip out east uh, <laughs> with a little bit easier path than he's had to deal with. So what does that look like? Um, so we'll see. I mean, I don't have super high ambitions for the Nets in terms of Kyrie keeping it together for six months. But yeah, that's going to be another good uh, barometer for what these like this player movement. Is it actually helping players or is it just pushing that goal further and further out and they just keep swimming to it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this will be fascinating because if they fail, too, then you start to question whether this model is that effective. Um, like Kawhi and PG lost in their first year. Then if Kevin Durant and Kyrie, let's I mean, no one's expecting them to win a title. But if they lose in the first round or second round or something, that'll be a... Um, Disappointment, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, the pendulum might swing back. I, I think a lot of these guys in this next era, um, and we've talked about this too, I think a lot of them want to stay with the same team, but there's always a breaking point. Like no one's going to stay yeah. with the team for 12, 13 years without winning a title if you're a superstar. It just or at least contending for one. Yeah, or contending for one. You got seven years. You're guaranteed seven years. And then after that, it's really about how close have you been able to come? What are the moves you're making? Um, and the key but, with that, by the way, is you have seven years, but you have to become a superstar early in that to even have like a four or five year window. Like yep. Luka Doncic is a superstar right now, right? So they have, he was a superstar this year. So they have this plus five more at a minimum, but probably seven more because he'll sign like a five year max. Yep. But a guy like uh, Bradley Beal, who didn't actually become who he is until year four, year five, Suddenly, he's actually he actually didn't even make his first all-star team until his max deal kicked in. So they didn't really get 30 points per game, Bradley Beal, for those early years in his career. Um, you know, I think that's a big factor as well. 
Now, those are the teams that do end up sticking together. Like the biggest, the best example that I can think of right now is in Boston. I expect Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to play together mm-hmm. for a while. Nope. But, you know, you look around the league, like there's a lot of teams that if they don't win this year or come damn close, it's blow it up time. Start in Philadelphia. You could go to um, Milwaukee, uh, the Clippers, um, you know. I mean, Houston, I may, Lake, we haven't talked about oh, them, but they shit, may already I didn't even mention, They may blow yeah. it up before we even get to that point. Like, yeah. and, and to your point, James Harden, who's been phenomenal, only, has only played in Houston for, what, eight years? And they're like, Feels we like got to change it up. Yeah. We got to change it up. Like, Dirk played in Dallas for 21 years. <laughs> Why would you ever give up James Harden? But at the same time, some of the things they're saying make sense. Maybe it won't work with him. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, part of that is media fueled. Uh, and that obviously gets into the players heads, into the agents heads and even into the execs and owners heads. Right. Like if I'm an owner and I'm hearing how I'm looking at like the Lakers or I'm looking at like all these teams are like, wait, how did they become so good in three years? Um, and I'm looking at my GM who's like, no, be patient. It's like year six. And I'm like, I don't I don't want to like the Nets just got two superstars after two years after being like a 20 win team. So tell me that, how that happened. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think too much is made up to about protecting the future. Like we, we've become a culture that values first round picks and second round picks. And we ridiculed the Clippers, not ridiculed everyone. Like, obviously you like the move, but the price you have to pay, even the Lakers, like, do, I don't know if you remember, but they were talking about, oh, you're giving up on Ingram. He's got a lot of promise. Ball, like, that's yeah, a lot of pieces yeah. and picks to give up. But at the end of the day, like, you're never going to regret that when you get a superstar-type talent. Um, I think culturally, uh, our generation, we're obsessed with optionality. Yeah. Um, it's it, it factors into, like, every decision we make, right? Like, I'm, I'm not trying to get super deep here but even the idea of like marrying later than we did or like not having kids as soon as we did or like which jobs we take what opportunities we're waiting for like not wanting to buy a house like there's so many examples of like we hate the idea of like we're committed and the buyer's remorse i think in our generation is really intense and so you'll see a guy sign a two-year deal because it means they can make that choice again in two years and signing a four-year deal means that they're stuck um, granted there's an element of that. That's also just the annual value, just like from a money standpoint, where at some point 50 million versus 80 million is not really that different. It feels like infinity. Um, so I, but I do think that like the draft picks represent promise. They represent unknown, unfilled potential. And every time that you're stuck, you could be like, well, the hope is we have all these draft picks coming. Um, like if you, if you pulled Clippers fans and you pulled Thunder fans, and you said, who's, who are you, like, are you more excited about your team? Thunder fans probably great hire, even though the Clippers yeah. are the ones with Kawhi Leonard <laughs> exactly. and Paul and George. It's like, exactly. what? Like, the Clippers should have been in the Western Conference Finals in year one. Yeah. Uh, it was like a fluke that they weren't, frankly. And yet Thunder fans are probably like, oh, man, I can't wait for that 2026 unprotected. <laughs> like, we're going to fucking go to the top and draft the next LeBron. Yeah. Um, so, it, 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 and, you know, a good example, honestly, is the fact that the Celtics and the yeah. Nets, Celtics fleeced the Nets, got all these picks, <laughs> ended up Jalen Brown, the pick that got Jason Tatum, uh, Marcus Smart. But yet they're both probably in a fairly similar position now all these years later. And some of those picks didn't pan out that well, though. You know, the Kings pick, uh, the Grizzlies pick. So even then, yeah. it's like 
yeah, you have six picks, but it's not like all of them are going to be top ten lottery talents. Like it just doesn't work like that. Three, yeah, you can't take three first rounders every year and have even room on your roster. You're going to end up trying to get a Euro stash and all this shit. But yeah. anyway, before we conclude the bubble, let's talk quickly about like um, I want to talk about our favorite players. Um, just I want to I want to name of one guy who you thought really made the leap to that next tier of star. And then one maybe role player who really impressed you uh, over the last three months. Why don't you go first? I just All right. So for me, uh, I think the star uh, is really Bam Adebayo. Although he got a little bit punked in the finals uh, coming off the injury against the best big in the world is to, to be expected. I just thought that he can't even really shoot yet and he's not super polished offensively. And the way he dominated that Boston series was just so incredible. Um, I know he was playing against Daniel Tice and, you know, it wasn't the most intimidating front line out there. But it's a really hard thing to dominate an inferior opponent. And what I mean by that is I remember when the Wizards were playing the Celtics, right, in the playoffs in 2017, a series we should have won, even though they were the one seed. Isaiah Thomas was their starting point guard. He made second team all NBA that year. And we kept trying to post him up with John Wall. And we kept trying to dominate that matchup, put him in pick and rolls, like when he was guarding Otto Porter, like let Otto Porter cook. If you don't have that in your game, you're going to badly screw that up. I don't care who's guarding you, right? And so to be aggressive the way Bam was, knowing he was better than Tice, but to do so efficiently and do so without getting spiraling out of control is actually really hard, especially for a young player. And I thought, I mean, he's got superstar written all over him, uh, just defensively, the versatility, his passing. I mean, he very much looks like a bigger Draymond at this point. Um, And then role player wise, uh, I was going to say Duncan Robinson, but I'm going to move it away from the heat here. Um, I thought Jeremy Grant uh, really played himself into that next contract. Um, He was a 39% three-point shooter, I think, during the season. And you don't think of him as that. You think of him as like a Kenneth Fareed, just bouncy, big energy and he's very, very skilled. Uh, I thought he was phenomenal against the Clippers. I think he struggled a little bit against the Lakers, but so did everyone. Uh, I just think he's a perfect complement next to Jokic, uh, someone who can help on the weak side, someone who can guard some of those rangier bigs. He's going to be expensive for them to keep, and I think the Nuggets have a lot of decisions about whether to package up assets and really go for it or play it forward with this group, but uh, I thought he was awesome. Yeah, Grant was going to be my my pick as well. Um, but I'll give, I'll give you another one. But for my superstar, I liked, I think, Luka. Um, and Luka, I think the, from a Delta standpoint, I agree with you, Bam. But Luka, it was more about, we already recognized him as a great player. You know, he's mm-hmm. all NBA this year. But he took it to another level, which is like, that's a level you don't see someone going until at least their fourth, fifth year. And what a level I mean by that is, you know, you're, you're kind of down K, uh, KP. You're playing against a heavily favored Clippers team, and you are taking it to them. And for all the criticism about Luca's, um, I mean, not the criticism, but like he, you know, his shooting's still not great. He's still got some flaws in his game. And when I th- saw that series, when KP went down, I was like, all right, it's going to be very easy for Paul George, Kawhi, for them to lock him down. But the way he was able to generate offense um, when everything was geared towards him and steal a couple games. I thought that was really yeah. impressive. Um, and it just, the floor, I feel like the floor of any Luka team, it's going to be like LeBron where um, no matter what talent he has around him, 
they're going to be in it. And so for me, I thought he made that ascension from just a star to like already a superstar in his second year. Um, yeah, we didn't know if he was a stat stuffer or if he was a championship type player. Yeah. And I think. And I, I, I should say we knew he was going to be a stud, but yeah. I totally agree with you. And I was almost about to say him the way he was attacking George and Kawhi was scary. His strength, his size, his his craftiness. It was like, holy shit. And the Nuggets ended up lighting up the Clippers around later, so it took off the shine a little bit from what Luca was doing. But yeah. still, at 21 years old, I was... <sighs> yeah. So, uh, and then my... Um, for my non-star, uh, I was going to go with Jeremy Grant. I'll go with uh, another white boy, though. I'll go with Tyler Hero. And Tyler Hero struggled a lot in the finals. Um, didn't shoot well. He started getting scared of AD. You saw some of those floaters go way up high uh, when you saw AD coming at him. So he's raw. <laughs> yeah. um, and but and, and Hero was pretty good during the regular season. So it's not that he made a leap, but he played with a level of confidence that I think bodes well. Because, you know, a guy like Duncan Robinson, he showed up. He played well in spots. But... Is he might just be a glorified Kyle Korver at the end of the day. And I know he's been playing better, but his ceiling is limited. I think yeah. Hero's playmaking has really shown that he can become something much more than just a spot-up shooter. Um, the way he's able to, to move with the ball um, and generate offense, I think uh, he's never going to be a point guard. But as a playmaking two, like he can have a lot of value. And if he keeps yep. improving on his shooting, I think he could become a star in this league. So... Um, I like Hero. Uh, I think that despite the finals performance, I think he really showed me a lot in the playoffs. You know what Hero reminded me of? And I know he was just a rookie, but in really it was kind of like his second year in a way because he had like a full offseason. Um, he reminded me so much of James Harden in 2012 mm -hmm. where he dominated the first three rounds, including that series against the um, against Spurs. the. Spurs mm -hmm. coming off the bench in that six man role. Then he gets to the finals and the lights are a little too bright. And, you know, you could still see the talent, but he's a, all sorts of a mess. Yeah. And we know what the history was. The Thunder ended up trading him. And obviously the, the heat value here a lot more. But I will be curious because Miami has built this team around the 2021 max cap space uh, mm -hmm. to go get a Giannis, to go get whoever's available. That's that free agency class is going to be stacked. But they're a little bit ahead of schedule, to say the least. They did not expect this team to make a finals run. And maybe they wouldn't have in a normal season. But now what do they do, right? Do they go figure out a way to go get Bradley Beal? Do they go figure out a way to go get Devin Booker or Carl Anthony Towns, uh, who I think are the three next stars kind of on the precipice of moving? Um, it's going to be really interesting because Pat Riley is not a tanker, right? That, it was well documented. This team didn't have, I think, a top 10 pick on the roster other than Iguodala, who was drafted in 2004. Um, so does he use it now as a win-now season where Philly's kind of a mess? You know, Brooklyn's in year one. Uh, Milwaukee is suddenly a lot more vulnerable uh, than they previously seemed to be. And Toronto could rebuild uh, if they potentially lose Van Vliet, lose Gasol, lose Ibaka. So I'll be, I'll be curious. And maybe that's the transition point. Like, what do you see as far as player movement? Like who are the guys that you think um, 
are really at the top of the list that could be moved, you know, either before the season, which, by the way, was just reported uh, that's going to likely start on Martin Luther King Day and January 18th. Mm-hmm. Uh, so either before the season or or some point during the season. I don't think we're going to see a lot of the big, big names move, to be honest. I think you're going to see a lot of the guys like Buddy Heald, um, that type of player. Uh, I think Bogdan, there's a report that came out today that Milwaukee wants a guy like Bogdan Bogdanovich. So I think there's going to be a lot of moves on the edges. The point about Miami, I think, I honestly think they have to think of this as they caught lightning in a bottle and gear up for 2021. I don't think they should overreact and kind of make moves, win now moves for this season. Mm-hmm. Because I think they have a legitimate shot at Giannis. Like, this season could not have gone better from them, not just from a basketball standpoint, but from, from a PR standpoint. The amount of slobbering over Miami culture and, you know, work ethic and, you know, Pat Riley. Like, that's something yeah, that was a huge jerk-off session for the yeah, last three 2021, months. Yeah, you're going to have your pick of free agents. Even if they don't get Giannis, there are a lot of big names. Um, so I think, they, I think a lot of teams are going to kind of stay put. You're going to see some moves on the fringes. So two guys, like I said, the Kings, Buddy Heald, Bogdan Bogdanovich. I don't know what Monty McNair, the GM of the Kings, who whose name you didn't know until I told you about today, which made me a little upset. <laughs> they did the Kings. They're like, wait, who do we hire? Can we, yeah, can we trade um, him for Maury now? Yeah, I don't know which one they'll move, but um, one of those guys will probably get moved. And then that's a big fucking name. Oh, you mean the Kings? I thought you were talking about Westbrook Harden. I was like, no. Westbrook, I don't, I don't know what the rock, and then the Rockets are another one candidates to blow it up. But what, who's taking those contracts? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, well, Harden is has significant trade value. I mean, he's still averaging like thirty four a game. Like, he has massive trade value still. Westbrook, I don't think has almost any. Um, Westbrook is a is a near dump to to either a team that you have to give assets, you have to attach assets, like like Chris Paul last year, or a team like the Knicks who have fucked up for like the 20th straight offseason and are like, we just need to sell sell tickets. Um really quickly, um on the on the Daryl Morey piece, where did you stand on the reasoning behind the parting of ways? Because at first I was like, if it was China related, it would have happened already, right? But I'm wondering yeah. if the fact that China decided to air his their NBA games again in October was really a reason they decided to go ahead and do it. Because I bet you, and this is conspiracy theory a bit, I bet you they had a back channel understanding they're like, look, if we get rid of him now we might as well kiss goodbye to any type of American support. Like the backlash here is going to be insane. It already was by the fact that they didn't denounce the statement properly. So we can't fire him right away for that statement, but he's going to be gone. And Mm. there's probably an internal idea that short of winning a title, he's out. What did you think about that? Or do you think it was just performance and you guys tried to play without a center? What were you thinking? And, you know, we have nowhere to go. No, I mean, I I can believe the China thing playing a role. Um, Ultimately, Tony Fertitta, he's the one making the call. I mean, I know they it was a stepping down, but let's be honest. This was That's a, just a PR. Fire, right? It's PR. But I also think it's, it's one of those things where you've run your course, right? Like, they've tried every angle around this small ball team. Like, back, I mean, starting from 2015, I think, right? Um, they've tried surrounding Harden with different kinds of players. They tried, went all in on Chris Paul, went all in on Russell Westbrook. Like, how many times can you hit reset on the same formula? 
Yeah. And I think his, his course just, I mean, his, he just ran out of time. Like at a certain point, like you just have to move on and try something different. And so I actually don't blame them for moving on. I don't think it necessarily had to do the China thing. I think it's just, look, you can't keep trying this same formula because it's clearly not working. And, and that's not to diminish Maury. Cause I think what Maury did was great. Like the fact that he took that Warriors team of seven, um, is a monumental achievement. And yeah. I think he has the highest winning percentage. Um, like he had a 61% winning percentage over 13 years. Um, yeah, not a single season under 500. Yeah. Not a single season under 500 where no other team in that stretch did that. Um, so a lot to be commended, but at a certain point, like it just, you got to try something new. And I'm a big believer so, in that. I agree with that. The only thing that, gives me concern or gives me pause, I should say, is that they promoted from within. So it would be very odd if Maury's whole team didn't have similar philosophies. This wasn't like an early Grunfeld in DC situation where he was running a straight up like dictatorship and nobody below him was allowed to speak. Like I, I feel like Maury's disciples that have gotten jobs elsewhere, whether that's Sam Hinkie, whether that's Garson Rosas in, in Minnesota, whether that's now your boy going to the Kings. And, and I think there's others that have also come from his tree. They've had a similar philosophy in team building. And so I would think that the, the guy that they promoted um, also follows suit there. So that's the piece that I just wonder is like, okay, you, you, you have a chance to hit the reset button. Do you want a different basketball opinion? Um, they have an opportunity to do that with the coaching hire, um, right? They're they're looking at Jeff Van Gundy, looking at John Lucas, among others. But the GM is really who sets the direction. I suppose with the Rockets, they're so fucking locked into this team that maybe it doesn't even matter what the GM's philosophy is. So, look, I, I agree with you. Like, and Why hire from within if you really are trying to change, you know, completely? Um, but you have to remember, Maury wasn't always just threes and paint. Like, this is an evolution for the last four years. Maury was all about taking, you know, efficient shots, and they pushed it to the extreme. Yeah. Um, like, Monty McNair, when he got hired by the Kings, he talked about, like, they asked him that, are you, know, you going to run just threes and, and paint, like, with the Kings? And he said, no, like, that's in, that's the extreme version of the philosophy. But really, they're going to do something more in the middle, where um, you do take mid-range shots, but you take them at a clip that makes sense, where you're still focusing yeah. on threes and spacing, et cetera. So I, I don't think that, you know, Maury, everyone is going to define him now by the, you know, small ball Covington at the five. But you have to remember, most of his time in, in the Rockets was not built around that kind of a team. Um, yeah. So I, I think they'll be fine. I just, but I do wish that if, if you are going to take out a guy like Maury, put in some really fresh blood. Uh, don't That's just I mean, promote right? from within because yeah. ultimately then how are you really going to get a complete culture change that you want? His philosophy also, aside from the threes, was really about finding a star. And I think that was actually the crux of what he was trying to do, which is how do we back up all of the assets we have to find a really transformative player? And he's right about that. Like, yep. yeah, you can have a cute little story here and there with a nice, hardworking, plucky team like the Thunder this year or like the Clippers last year that you talked about. But if you want real title aspirations, you have to get a guy who can win a title. And there's a lot of I'm not going to get into the James Harden. Let me go, um, you know, sort of legislate his whole career. Mm -hmm. But. In 2018, they were a half away from from having a trip to the finals against basically LeBron and a bunch of scrubs. So, yeah. Though in hindsight, the idea of James Harden beating LeBron in the finals seems 
<laughs> implausible, but that that Cavs team was really really bad. So I do think Houston would have been favored at the very least. But yeah. All right. So in 2021, who are your top three? If you had to do a power rankings right now of top three likeliest champions, what are you thinking? And there's a lot to be done between now and actual season tip. L.A. L.A. The top two. Which one first? A Lake. You got to put the Lakers at the top. Um, and then Clippers. Here's where it gets really interesting. I think there's a slew of teams, but gun to my head, I have to pick one. Golden State. Yeah, I was gonna do the. I was gonna do the same. Fuck, we need to <laughs> disagree. I was gonna do the same three. I'm like, Golden State's gonna be fucking good next year. Um. Wiggins was decent for them in the role that he was asked to play. And that was without Steph and Clay. Imagine how much easier his life is going to be with those guys on the court. They have the number two pick. So if they want to keep Wiggins, they can. If they want to parlay that into another asset, they can. Um, they're pretty much capped out. But with all those dudes coming back, they're going to have um, you know some suitors in terms of players who want to come there on better and minimum deals and such. Yeah, I think they're going to be really good. And I think, you know, none of those guys are scared of of LeBron. They've won. They beat him. I know with Durant really more more recently, but they don't see it like that. They still see it as they beat LeBron. And so um, and they've beaten Kawhi when he was on the Spurs. Um, So I think I think that's, you know, obviously the top three are likeliest in terms of odds wouldn't come from the East. Sorry, the West. So the East. let me ask you this. Who's the favorite from the East? Is it is it Milwaukee or have we, you know, fool me once, you know, shame on me, fool me. No, I think it's still Milwaukee. I think they're going to make some so. changes. They're going to make some moves. It's hard to pick against. I, I, I buy Miami regressing a little bit this year. Um, and Brooklyn is just too much of an unknown, man. Like, I, it's, I'd love to be like, oh, I think Brooklyn can do it. But, um, like. What does that team look defensively? What does that team look like uh, under Steve Nash? First time, like, there's a lot of question marks. I still want to go with Philly, but the reason I can't go with Philly is because don't do this to yourself. Yeah, but like I did this last year. Don't do this, man. It's like that was my pick at the beginning of last season was Clippers Sixers in the finals, and the trade proposal I heard, by the way, was Horford for Heald. No, that's like every Sixers fan's proposing that. Why would the Kings? Ever why would the? Yeah, why? Why? I gotta tell you, the Lakers fans on Beal right now are putting together some truly heinous packages. It's like Kyle Kuzma, Rondo, Taylor Horton Tucker, Javale McGee, and a first round pick. And then the comment section section is like, "No, we can't give up that much. Beal's not that good." And I'm just <laughs> like, "Oh my god." But with Milwaukee, I think if they do make the like, you know, sort of expected move for Chris Paul, that changes their ceiling. Now, Chris Paul, again, is not a guy to be counted on late in May and June. So they might run into the same issues, but at least he can unclog their half court offense late in games. I mean, I think Chris Paul would be huge for them. Like they need yeah. someone to stabilize that offense in late game situations. And But why did the Thunder want Bledsoe and like, you know, these random Ersan Ilyasova and well, they have to trade for Chris Paul, right? They got to give him somebody. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you're gonna have to give up. You're gonna you'll they make the contracts work, and then you're gonna have to give up picks. Yeah, but 
like the the trade contracts, assuming of course Giannis and Middleton are are off the table, you got to do like Brook Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, and like Ersan Ilyasova because he makes forty one million. So you have to get up to like thirty three, thirty four million to make that deal work. Those so, guys have no value, so you have to uh, attach what like another six picks, and then all the Thunder fans with their like fifty picks coming up from all the league contenders are just like staring at the standings every day. I think you got to give up the Brook Lopez experiment. Not sorry, not experiment. The Brook Lopez. You could give it up, but does Thunder? Do the Thunder even want Brook Lopez? That's the question. They got Stephen Adams for twenty five million a year. That's I, 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 no, I no, just, that's what I'm saying. You and the Thunder. You know, no. The biggest question is the Thunder doesn't don't need more picks either. So you can't just like entice yeah. them to take on. This they're gonna where. they're gonna own all thirty picks in the two thousand twenty seven <laughs> draft. Just like have Max and the Celtics fans are gonna be so upset that they they have less draft capital than the Thunder. Fine. So forget about Chris Paul for a second. Do you think the besides just adding someone, do you think the Bucks need to do something with the core of that team? Like, yes, the, the Brooke Lopez experiment. I mean, not I keep saying experiment, but like it's worked out well these past couple of years in terms of he's been able to shoot. He helps fortify that interior defense, but his shooting has started to fall off. He's become more and more of a liability in the playoffs. And do you get to a point where you just need to have Giannis permanently at the five? He can't, I think, physically play that all the time. Even Anthony Davis didn't play it all the time. So whether you got whether you have like a spot starter where you're not paying, because like right now they're paying 13 million a year yeah. for Brooke Lopez, and that needs to go away, right? Because you need to invest in like a veteran minimum. Like they need to go sign like a Hassan Whiteside or like a Tristan Thompson or someone. They right? just need a body. But I don't know how you get out of that contract. It was just signed last year, so he still owed like three for 39. And paying centers is not very smart uh, unless you have like an Embiid or Jokic. If Milwaukee doesn't make a significant change to their top four, it's not happening. And Giannis is leaving. Like, what are they? I mean, but I, yeah, like you said, it's going to be hard to get out of that contract. How do you get out of the Bledsoe contract? How do you like? All these guys are kind of locked in. You just have to somehow. Philly has the same problem. Yeah, but Philly, I actually believe in that roster. But you believe in who? You believe in Ben Simmons, who scored one point the last time we saw him in a playoff game? Will you believe in Embiid, who's hurt every other day? I mean, I'm looking back at that team that almost beat Toronto. I love Joel Embiid. Yeah, but that team had Jimmy Butler and J.J. Redick. That's true. That was a different team. (laughs) They went and fucking got Al Horford's corpse and gave him four years guaranteed. Um Al Horford and Tobias Harris are probably two of the four worst contracts in basketball, yeah. along with John Wall and maybe Russell Westbrook or Blake yeah. Griffin. Yeah. And they have two of them. And unlike the Wizards, the, the Sixers are trying to win a championship right now. Yeah. And unlike the, the, you know, the Pistons with Griffin, like at least those guys, you know, you're not really championship ready. These guys are championship ready in their minds. And I think the Doc Rivers hire was great because I think he'll connect with Embiid and get him to at least play hard. I actually really like that deal for them. I know Rivers has had his own issues and you seem a little, you don't seem sold on it, but I do think he's an upgrade over Brett Brown. Um, I mean, yeah, I agree with that. I just don't know if, I mean, even Doc as a culture guy, as a, a player's coach guy, this Clippers team clearly had issues. The, Lob City Clippers had tons of issues. So where is this like chemistry and players coach Doc Rivers that I keep hearing about? I don't think it's been there for a while. Like that Boston team he won with had great leadership, had great yeah, leadership. Yeah, that's true. Like, 
I think it's getting overstated in terms of how good Doc Rivers is at melding these personalities. And, and in fact, together. you could argue his last two teams have not lost due to a lack of talent. It was due to a lack of chemistry. Mental and toughness. Like, like, yeah. Random side note. I just realized the Lakers should trade Kuzma and whoever else for J.J. Redick. Oh, yeah. Kuzma's Imagine used- Redick taking that three that Danny Green clanked. Yeah, the Lakers actually have a lot of moves they can make. Because um, if you're the Pelicans, you're not winning a title. Like, what do you need J.J. Redick for? To just complete the, the Lakers transformation by getting Kuzma yeah. as well? Then. Get D'Angelo Russell, and then you bring back Robert Sacre, and then you're rolling. Dude, there were so many Laker fans um, that were complaining about what they had to give up and the exact nature of that AD trade and... You know, why do we have to include Ingram? Why could it have been Kuzma? It's like, dude, at the end of the day, you could have given up Kuzma as well. You could have given up Genie Buzz. Who cares? You were going to get a title. Yeah. They're like, what about Josh Hart? We should have kept him for defensive versatility. Yeah. It's like, dude, fuck off, man. <laughs> oh, man. On that note, it has been a fucking long season. The longest in the history of basketball. And of course, yeah. after all this pain and torture, we're stabbed in the heart one more time with the Lakers winning the title. Um, <laughs> I know your boy LeBron is on his path to getting goaded, but it you know really sucks to see Lakers fans happy. Um, They're the worst, man. I can't even begin to describe how insufferable they are. And the worst part is, like... RIP to to the bean, the legend, but you couldn't even they were like Teflon this year because they had they were like doing I told you I didn't like the way they were like invoking his spirit as if he was carrying them to the title. So you couldn't even really like root against it in a way because you didn't want to root against Kobe, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm glad if that if that completed the uh sort of filled the void as much as possible. Uh but um it was not fun to watch. Lakers fans all over Twitter, all over my life, just go nuts. <laughs> I know, I know, it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. Um, and the man, I just hate the. We deserve this after so many years of suffering. It's been so long, Lakers Nation. You deserve this. It's uh, and those Wizards and Kings fans, man. We know like that. It could be much worse. I realized they won the title in 2000, 2010, and 2020. So we need to, like, empty the vault for that 2030 <laughs> futures bet. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But anyway, so on our front, from the thick and thin headquarters, the update on our end is we're going we're gonna to take our own offseason, right? We're going to figure out, uh, you know, go back to the lab, figure out how to make this thing even better. Um, I think – the free agency period starts. So the draft is November 18th. Uh, the free agency period starts December 1st. So maybe somewhere around then we'll do some type of preview, post view type thing. Um, it's been so much fun, man. I, I I will say that like when we first started, I had no expectation of, yeah. of course, how the season would go, but also how diligent we would be to, to staying with this. And I think, you know, it's it's I still get such a kick out of like, random people texting us or like hitting us up or like people we didn't know listened or people we haven't spoken to in a while being like, yo, I listened to the pod. Here's my thoughts. And like, um, it's still at the grassroots level to say the least, but (laughs) I think it's still so much fun to, to kind of get that feedback from people. And, 
uh, even something as stupid as like opening the podcast app and seeing our our names like right below Bill Simmons and yeah. right above Ron Rosillo is, is pretty crazy. So it's been it's been so much fun over the last what fourteen months. It's been fun, man. Fifty five episodes in, um, you know, over probably what seventy hours of content. Like I would have never thought we'd get through this far. Um, and you're right. It's 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 fun hearing our friends listen to it and getting their feedback and. If you're still listening right now at the hour, I don't know, 10 mark of this podcast, like, thank you for listening, engaging, because ultimately, like, that's all we want. We just want, um, you know, people to enjoy it, people to talk to us about it. I think it's been nice just like for us, given that you live in Chicago, I live out here. We're clearly not hanging out on a regular basis, but it's like yeah. a weekly kind of quick checkpoint. We get to shoot the shit about basketball and just catch up. Like, I think I've enjoyed and the that. The thing is, well. we do this shit anyway. We might as well have it recorded. Well, that's the thing. Like, this is this is the kind of thing where, like, normally it'd be me and you playing 2K uh, at 11 a.m. on a Sunday hungover, and we'd be talk, having these conversations. Yeah. And now it's in a more formal manner. We just put a mic in front of ours. But um, Exactly. Watch the language somewhat. In a, <laughs> watch the language somewhat. But no, it's been, it's been good, man, I think. And, you know, we've had to fill in so much off-season content, so... Um, for those of you wondering, oh, why aren't you going to do some off-season pods? Well, we will, but I think we've exhausted every topic under the sun. Like we've even run the dime machine a couple of times. Like, <laughs> I was going to say, we're are really there getting more different. seasons. Are there a few more seasons we can hop back into the dime machine for? Yeah, this will this um, be a good one to visit in, in ten years or so, right? Um, yeah. The- oh yeah. My God. Um, no, but I think I think we'll try to spend some time like figuring out some other cool ways to to um, you know present the pod different different sort of shticks maybe get a guest or two that's actually of of note i think we're like oh for seven we've contacted every famous indian person uh (laughs) except mindy kaling i think she's last (laughs) on the list so once she says no or doesn't respond uh we'll be back to bringing on kush to to talk coronavirus (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, you think a b-school degree would get us some kind of nothing Oh, but we were in the news for uh, Bloomberg. Even oh, Bloomberg yeah. wrote about it. Chicago Tribune. Uh, I, I'm, I'm reprimanding our class, you know, our fellow boot students. But I'm secretly kind of, you know, I, I just can't even say it publicly. I just I'm reprimanding them for their actions. <laughs> I, I, for those I know who don't know. You, I know. Those who don't know, they threw a secret COVID party and. Like a hundred people got COVID in in one setting, one go. So. I mean, for all those people who thought Booth was just a bunch of a bunch of nerds um, who didn't do anything, well, look, even with COVID, a raging pandemic, nothing was going to stop these guys from uh, throwing an MPP rager or going. As to it TV turns stuff. out, you can't grind with masks on, and I mean, <laughs> I can understand that. But all right, that's it for us. We are uh, signing off for uh, the next several weeks but please rate review and subscribe to thick and thin on all major podcast platforms please email us uh thick and thin hoops at gmail.com if there's any cool ideas you want us to try out next next uh season so to speak or any thoughts you have on how this one concluded we'd love to chat uh thank you guys so much for listening karthik thank you for being a great host we will talk to you in december